0: Hello and welcome back to Cloud9Fin, the podcast where we talk about corporate credit, financial engineering and other nerdy leveraged finance stuff. I'm your host, Will Cager-Smith, and this week I'm joined by Bill Weisbrod, one of our deputy editors in New York. So welcome Bill. Uh, Thank you for having me on, Will. And this week we're going to talk about, well... A bunch of stuff, probably, but it's all centered around loopholes in credit agreements and in particular, the concept of the MFN, which stands, of course, for money for nothing.
1: Yeah, that's what dire straits were singing about, um, leverage finance credit agreements.
0: Yeah, obviously, obviously, that's completely incorrect. Um, It stands for most favoured nation, right, which is, to be fair, not the most obvious guess and doesn't sound that financy. But actually, I found out this morning that this phrase has its origins in international trade agreements and treaties going as far back as the 11th century. So there you go. Wow, that is cool. I did not know that at all until just now. Yeah, me neither. Well, anyway, we will get into what that concept means exactly in the context of leverage finance in a minute. But first, let's recap for listeners what exactly has been going on in the private credit world this week. And in particular with this company called Integrity Marketing, which you wrote about a couple of days ago.
1: Yeah, so on a high level, private credit borrowers are trying to raise new money without necessarily having to pay more on their existing debt. And some of them are getting creative about it, much to the chagrin of some of their lenders. So in the case of Integrity, it seems the company has been trying to raise additional debt to fund an acquisition in a way that might circumvent the MFN or somehow suppress the impact of triggering it. And by MFN, I mean the most favored nation clause in its existing credit agreement, which gives existing lenders the possibility of a coupon increase if the company raises debt from new lenders at, sig- at a significantly higher interest rate. And according to our reporting, Integrity's existing lenders are pretty upset
0: about this. Right, okay. So. Let's back up a bit. What is Integrity Marketing? What does it do? And how did we get here today? So Integrity itself
1: is an insurance technology provider. And the private equity firm Harvest Partners is its biggest institutional shareholder. Um, back in 2019, the company raised a $945 million unit loan led by Al Rock Capital Partners. They're a large mm. private credit firm and um, So that loan has since been upsized many times to the point where it's now totals about nearly $5 billion. And, uh, so, you know, given that size, this MFN situation involves a lot of funds throughout the world of private credit.
0: Right. Yeah. Especially because, um, during a lot of those upsizes that you mentioned, they will have brought in new lenders. So the, the kind of book of, of lenders will have got bigger and bigger. Okay. And you mentioned that the company is trying to avoid paying more for its on its existing debt. And that makes sense if you understand how MFN language works in a credit agreement. But I'm aware that some of our listeners might be less familiar with that. So let's just explain that. So what is MFN? Why does it exist? And how does it work?
1: So basically in a credit agreement, MFN, pricing protection language, is intended to give existing lenders protection if the company raises new debt at a significantly higher interest rate. Um, So if the company does that, those incumbent lenders potentially have the right to demand compensation, usually by the company increasing the amount of interest they get paid. So they're not stuck with a much lower rate uh, that they're collecting on on their loan than, uh, than the new lenders are collecting.
0: Right. And that makes sense. I mean, if you're lending money to a company at a certain interest rate, you want some kind of guarantee that they're not gonna immediately go out and raise a bunch more money from someone else, uh, you know, a few weeks or months from now and pay that person a significantly higher interest rate than you're getting. But with integrity marketing, their lenders have this MFN protection in their credit agreement with the company. And yet it sounds like the company has maybe found a way to not trigger that protection.
1: Uh, well, they're at least looking into it. So in, yeah, in the case of integrity, as we wrote in our story earlier this week, there have been a couple things that they've been looking at. First, the company proposed a new incremental loan with a longer maturity. So a 2027 maturity as opposed to the 2025 maturity of its existing unit tranche um, with what's called a springing maturity clause that um, maturity on the new loan would spring to the same date as its existing loan, if the existing loan is not extended. Which um, there's no no indication that the company's planning to do that. Um, so mm-hmm. we're also we've also understand that the company has suggested it could raise new debt as a revolver instead of a term loan. Uh, and either either way, the end goal is trying to avoid or mitigate the uh, MFN pricing protection.
0: Right. That's what it seems like, doesn't it? So let's go through these one by one. Um, and let's start with the revolver because it seems like that's a bit simpler. So how exactly would raising this new debt in the form of a revolver avoid triggering the MFN? Yeah, I mean, the argument
1: in this case is that the MFN only applies to term debt as opposed to
0: revolving debt. So that just wouldn't wouldn't trigger it right okay but then there's this weird thing about an incremental loan so an add-on to their existing unit tranche loan but the incremental loan would have a different maturity at least as of now but it's got this springing maturity and and somehow they also might avoid triggering the mfn in this way so how does that work how does how does this kind of slightly more complex manoeuvre get around the MFN?
1: Yeah, this is a little more complicated, but basically the incremental loan has a 2027 maturity, as I mentioned, but it also has a springing maturity clause that would would switch that 2027 maturity to a 2025 maturity, the same as the existing loan, if the existing loan doesn't get extended.
0: Right. And the company isn't currently planning to extend the existing loan, right?
1: Right. That's, that's our understanding that there have been no talks, to, no discuss, that that hasn't been under consideration. But by giving the new loan a nominal 2027 maturity, the company can sort of change the outcome of that yield calculation that determines whether or not the MFN gets triggered or at least keep it from going higher than they want it to go. Um, and that would really soften the impact, uh, the cost impact of raising the new debt.
0: Okay, yeah. So, yeah, th- this is pretty complicated but i can see what they're driving at these formulas for calculating mfns and whether the mfn has been triggered are often quite specific and that probably means there can be ways around them kind of loopholes um and, and that kind of brings me to my next question which is can the company do this like are they actually allowed by the document to to do this
1: um that's hard for me to say since I'm not a capital markets lawyer and this is a private credit deal so <laughs> the uh the loan documents are private. Right. But right. it seems like the company and its sponsor Harvest which um for what it's worth declined to comment for our story. Um have thought about this quite carefully. Um so Maybe they're within their contractual rights entirely to do this, but we do know that lenders have been talking to the lawyers that helped write the documentation of that loan just to see what rights they have and if there's any way for them to object.
0: Right, okay. And I guess we should also point out here that for both Integrity and its lenders, whichever way this situation ends up, uh, whatever the outcome is, there are potentially millions of dollars at stake here, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a five billion dollar loan, so you know every basis point counts. And uh, if the MFN gets triggered, the company, yeah, could have as much as tens of millions of dollars in extra interest costs, and lenders could miss out on tens of millions of dollars of extra interest uh, income. On the other hand, so you know, yeah, it's uh, it's um. it's it's
0: it's for for a private privately placed deal it's it's big dollar amounts right yeah um and having to reprice a bunch of debt that you raised in 2019 to today's interest rates i mean that's like that's a huge jump the interest costs have just spiraled higher this year
1: right right. and and, you know just looking at it from the outside i think that's why i would say the um the company doesn't want to extend its uh existing loan to 2027
0: because um why would you do that when you're when you have 2019 pricing on it yeah exactly yeah why would you open up a, a credit agreement again I'm kind of unnecessarily um so i have another question zooming out a bit this kind of thing you know spats over documentation and covenants it's not exactly a new thing in credit markets like we've heard of trapdoors and black holes in covenants and people talk about getting j-screwed or chewyed. There was the board riders situation. There was Trimark. We've had manufactured defaults, funky CDS trades, all sorts of other shenanigans. Like there's tons of stuff has, has happened like this. I'm not saying that that makes this any less interesting, but often it feels like the outcome ends up being the company and its sponsor basically saying, look guys, the credit agreement does not expressly forbid us from doing this. So it's fair game. It's nothing personal. It's strictly business. Next time you should just read the document properly. But the big caveat for this situation is that most of that stuff happened in the broadly syndicated credit market, whereas this right now is happening in private credit. And I feel like that's quite an important distinction. Like, what, what do you make of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of examples of parties taking advantage of anything they can in the credit in credit agreements in big syndicated liquid loan deals. I mean, to a certain extent, that's like, that's expected. Um, but, in the world of private credit it's it's more opaque it's it's private um but you know a big part of the way that that asset class pitches itself is um you know that it's a relationship business that you know uh lending funds win repeat business through their relationships with uh with with private equity sponsors and you know even though even a big deal you know. They're, they're they call them club deals so mm-hmm. it's not like uh, you know the, the, the people sort of you know they know each other they, they're around similar same deals time and time again um, so you know it's only unli- it's it's, aty- it's it's atypical to see those relationships turn adversarial um, not saying it hasn't happened but it's just not um, mm-hmm. not as we it, not, not as much as you see in in, the, in a liquid blown deal
0: right okay so the bigger question i guess is do you think this is a one-off scenario i mean i know you mentioned that there's this other company galway insurance that is maybe doing something similar although by a slightly different mechanism um so you know uh, we're not saying it's never happened before and that this is a complete one-off but do you, do you think this is this is a sort of idiosyncratic thing, or are we going to see more of this given the market backdrop at the moment? Is it going to become a bigger trend?
1: Yeah. So we we uh, also mentioned Galway Insurance trying something similar to uh, raise money without raising its overall cost of capital in the story, um, and, and its overall cost of debt capital. So uh, yeah, I mean, this certainly could um, become a trend, uh, become a bigger trend and something to watch because as credit markets get tighter and debt becomes more expensive um as we're seeing now sponsors and borrowers might try to get creative about how they raise new money to fund things like acquisitions without pushing up yeah overall cost of capital so um you know it's just a it's a pretty new dynamic for the world of private credit because that asset class has really grown um since 2008 since in the post-crisis low Low yield world as people looked for you look to illiquid loans to get paid that illiquidity premium, but now it's, um, yeah, it's it's a new world, a new environment, so new dynamics are emerging.
0: Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and I mean, as you point out, the private credit market has been hot for a long time, or at least it was until earlier this year. So, in a hot market, docs often end up getting very loose. Um, and on that basis, I kind of wonder what recourse lenders really have in a situation like this. Like, if the documentation allows these kinds of manoeuvres, can lenders really do anything more than just, you know, complain about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it remains to be seen. And I, I think it is important for uh, from some lenders for some lenders to kind of hold hold a boundary in situations like this, so that it doesn't become um, become the norm. Um, so yeah we reported that they were talking to the law firm that worked on the initial credit agreement so we'll see where that leads and then another option is just to if they don't like what a company or what a sponsor is doing um take their business elsewhere and not participate in the in the incremental not participate in the next deal um because yeah as we said it's a relationship business
0: right so you know even though voting with your feet and kind of burning the bridge as it were doesn't necessarily fix the outcome if you're losing money in, in this particular situation, it means you can avoid a situation like that in future with, a, with a, 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 a counterparty that has demonstrated in the past that they're willing to use these kind of tactics against you as a lender, right? Pot- potentially, yeah. Potentially. Okay. Well, as you mentioned, I'm sure we haven't seen the back of this yet, given, given how loose docs got in recent years. I'm, I'm sure there'll be some... Chickens coming home to roost over the next few months. But let's wrap it up here for today. But thank you so much for helping to explain this all Bill. It's really helpful.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Well, always a pleasure
0: to participate in the pod. All right, well that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with anyone else you think might enjoy it. And if you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, you can always reach us by email on team at And be sure to check in next week with my colleague Kat Hidalgo in London for an update on all things Europe. As for me, I'll be back the week after that. So until then, as always, take care.